Brenda, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Loretta Mellon? Here. Neha Banger? Here. Lucia Angel? B. Franks Walker? Richard Harvey Jr.? Present. Eric Murphy? Present. Mark Smith? Khalil Toki? Ali Yassin? Present. Oh, yay! Yay! We have a quorum? We all have. Good, good, good. Well, I'm glad to see some of our um, members that haven't been here for a minute. That's great. That's awesome. Hope you're all doing well. Um, so the first thing on the agenda is to um, approve the minutes from our last meeting from March. Um, Congrats, Nia. 
Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, it's, it's my first. Yeah. Oh, so exciting. Uh, so brand new mom, and uh, yeah, my family won't be here. So if people have, uh, you know, uh, ideas on what to do. <laughs> You'll figure it out. That's so wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, you guys. Yeah, I'll send photos, etc. When uh, oh, yes, when, please when, do. It's, it's a girl when she arrives. Oh. So. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Uh, I don't want to derail. I, I know we we have an agenda, so yeah, feel free to chat me or anything <laughs> after. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, Loretta. Mm, is Damon here? Yes, I am. Hi, Damon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fine, thank you. So we're ready to hear your report. Great. Um, just coming from clinic, so uh, <laughs> fresh off, you know, um, thinking about homelessness actually a lot lately in clinic. It's been um, it's been really um, just palpable the kind of shift um, as the safer ground sites have filled up. Um, I have more and more patients who would have been eligible who are now on the wait list there. So. Um, Today I saw someone who uh, who uh, was just in the hospital and um, had very very advanced uh, HIV. I'm, I'm you know as you all know an HIV primary care provider and uh, is actually you know dealing with trying to trying to get back on medicine, trying to get his life back together, and doing it from um, a shed behind um, uh. you know his, his one of his friends' houses. Um, and you know, just we don't really have another option right now. Um, so it's really, you know, it's really been um, just really stark to see how much different people's trajectories are of getting better. You know, when we're able to support them with the type of housing, like interim housing that they've found is offering, versus uh, versus you know, as that facility um, has filled up, and a, and a real reminder of how we need to make you know resources like that more available across the system. Right. Um, so uh, today, I just wanted to review with all of you all the um, update on the COVID-19 homeless response, which is kind of customary for us to do. And maybe we're getting close to actually not having so much to report every month on that and kind of shifting. Um, but I think for now, it's still it's still worth um, keeping you all pretty um, abreast of the situation with regard to COVID. And then I just wanted to have a quick comment on um, an update for you all on the eviction moratorium and what's going on with rental assistance here in Alameda County. Um, so we can go to the next slide and the next slide. Yes. So homeless cases and outbreaks continue their decline from their January peak. So this is very much paralleling the pandemic overall in our community um, where, you know, we're seeing um, many fewer cases among people experiencing homelessness and certainly not like the, you know, 10 outbreaks at the same time that that was what was going on kind of in December and January, um, which is very, very good news. Okay. Go to the next slide. Um, and I told you all last time, I think that we had just started our vaccination program. Um, vaccinations are definitely accelerating. So each row here is a different team that's vaccinating people experiencing homelessness around the community. Of course, you know, people experiencing homelessness are also getting vaccinated outside of specific programs that are targeted toward them. So, you know, we're vaccinating people, for example, 
at our Highland Clinic and other our other clinics who include people experiencing homelessness. But these are the targeted programs alone. And really, just in a, a little over a month's time, we're already up to 1,500 doses given. Um, you can see the line for mobile health at this time on March 25th was at 133. We're now over 200 doses that we've given. And the mobile health program um, in particular is really designed to get into some of those smaller shelters that are, that are um, yeah. you know, kind of in the nooks and crannies, like the bigger pharmacy programs um, uh, that the Health Care for the Homeless program of the county is working with. They can do some of the larger shelters, but I think we're we're better oriented toward um, places where there's three or four shelters in a small region, and um, they need a lot of flexibility in terms of timing, in terms of how the staff work with the folks there. And so our team obviously are well known around the community, and um, I think are doing a good job of bringing you know vaccine access to some of the toughest to reach places. Um, so we're really proud of you know this work that that the county's been doing, and and proud of our role in it um, on the mobile health team. And I think you all heard today that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been paused, um, and that was the major vaccine that we, um, that we were providing up until today. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, they're going to review um, these, these six or seven cases, um, and, you know, we'll be able to return to giving the Johnson & Johnson vaccine safely, um, you know, in the, near, in the near future, I think. Um, all of the cases have been among women. All of them have been um, in, you know, in the first couple weeks following vaccination. Uh, and it's, you know, six or seven cases out of over six million doses given. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's likely that we're going to um, continue to be able to safely provide this vaccine once we review the data. Um, but that's another thing for you all to be aware of. Uh, we can go to the next slide. Um, so Operation Comfort and Safer Ground Sites continue to undergo consolidation and, and transformation. So this is a new way um, that the county has been sharing uh, and displaying data on um, what's happening with the, the project uh, room key and the you know, homeless isolation and quarantine sites. So you can kind of see the dates when the site opens and the date you know, for sites that have closed already. So for instance, Marina Village um, you know, opened in May. Its um, occupancy level went from 44% in May up all the way to, you know, the high 90s throughout September, October, and then as they started winding down in January, went down to 69, and then people were moved from that site to other sites, or, you know, were able to be moved into um, into permanent housing out of the program when the Marina Village site shut down in February. So that's kind of the storyline of Marina Village, and so this this graphic kind of shows you what's happened with, you know, between March and, and July of uh, 2020, more and more sites opening up. Um, and then um, kind of starting in December, um, sites beginning to close down. What you can see on the bottom is that Operation Comfort, which was really the first site to open up um, for isolation and quarantine, um, and um, but really only got up to, you know, in terms of average occupancy, 61% in May, there were times where Operation Comfort was nearly 100% occupied, but it wasn't for lasting for a whole month um, because it was for isolation and quarantine, right? So this was one of the sites where, for example, we had to decompress a shelter. Lots and lots of people would move to Operation Comfort, and then lots and lots of people would move out of Operation Comfort once their isolation or quarantine period was over, and you know we weren't worried about transmission happening. Um, but as of November, that site was closed down at the end of November, 
and then um, it's been converted to um, a home key site, which is actually a permanent supportive housing site. So now we have folks that are moving from the safer ground sites primarily into um, into uh, the Comfort Inn, the former Comfort Inn, as a place to live permanently with uh, with a lot of support services on site. Um, so you can see there's just lots and lots that's happening with these uh, with these sites and these programs that we're trying to keep track of. Um, you can go to the next slide here. This shows the kind of plan for the wind down of safer ground. So based on the most recent federal funding, um, what you can see here is that essentially by September, all of the project rooms, those sites that are, you know, interim housing supported by the state uh, will be planned to be wind down, wound down. They're not going to take any more referrals um, at any of those sites starting in July. Um, and we should have um, actually the sites be completely closed um, by the end of September is the plan right now. Although we don't know, there might be you know other funding extensions, things like that, that, that might change this picture, but this is sort of the plan right now. And then um, and then in the bottom two rows of the Oak Days and the Comfort, those are going to become home key sites, which is to say permanent supportive housing sites um, that will you know, continue to be open and accepting referrals as long as they have space. I think um, we expect, you know, because they're going to become permanent supportive housing sites, that the turnover will slow down considerably and, you know, people will really will really find those places to be like home and, and stay there um, and benefit from, you know, pretty rich uh, service environment there. Um, so I think that's the end of the COVID update. We can pause here for uh, for any questions uh, or comments about about what's happening in uh, people experiencing homelessness with regard to COVID. So Damon, the um, hotels that have closed, like Marino Village and um, so forth, they're not going to be converted over to um, home key. Uh, no. No, that's uh, was that the plan from the very beginning? Well, I think the the plan has always been very um, dependent upon the funding um, that's been available both from the federal government and from the state government. Um, some of the sites there there has been some local money that's been made available. As you all know, Measure W was passed, which is a we talked about in this meeting a sales tax uh, increase that is supposed to bring about 150 million dollars of revenue for you know, housing and, and, and support services to people experiencing homelessness. We still don't really know what the status of that is. There haven't been a lot of updates from the county. Um, revenue was expected to start coming in around now. Um, and, and so I'm sure this is going to continue changing, you know, which sites we're going to be, um, we're, we're going to be closing, which sites we're going to be repurposing in what ways. Um, but, um, you know, there's a plan to, to, to leverage the resources to convert as many of these sites as possible to permanent supportive housing. Currently, the plan is really just the Oak Days and the Comfort, as far as I know. Yeah. All right, we can just talk really briefly about the next topic, which is um, just an update on the um, statewide eviction moratorium and rental assistance programs. You can go to the next slide. Um, so this is a really significant Senate bill, a 91 that was passed in January and extended the statewide eviction moratorium to June 30th. 
um, and establish an office to allocate $2.6 billion in rental assistance around the state. Um, a lot of that money is going to be allocated to landlords, and, um, and a lot of it then also allocated to, um, to provide you know, relief for back rent um, for, for people who have lost a job as, you know, as a result of COVID or lost an income source as a result of, of COVID and haven't been able to keep up with their rent. Um, here in Alameda County, there is this uh, collaborative of legal parties. You can see their logos on the right that have joined together to administer um, some programs um, supported by Senate Bill 91. Um, there actually are three separate programs I'm aware of in the county. So there's a countywide program, and then some of the larger cities have the option to implement um, these rental <laughs> programs on their own. Um, so the city of Oakland and the city of Fremont have taken that opportunity. But um, this website that's down at the bottom, achousingsecure.org, um, you can you can find your way to applying for rental assistance through any of the, those three programs through this website, and you can actually call you know any of these organizations as well, East Bay Community Law Center, Centro Legal, and 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 um, find aid. So um, we um, in within ambulatory or within within the homeless health center have um, some contact with two one one, which is really helping to provide information about this program, and um, our complex care team. Um, is uh, is working to understand these and make sure that we, you know we're able to 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 make sure these resources benefit um, our patients here. Great. And that was it for my report. Um, <laughs> I you know open to any questions about either the eviction moratorium or or anything else uh, before we um, go to the next agenda item. I'm just curious uh, if there is any, uh, June 30th is not that far away and we're still in the middle of things, so do you know if there might be an extension uh, to this? I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I haven't been able to track the sort of, uh, you know, legislative like horse race, you know, around things like that. Um, so I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think it is likely that at some point, you know, we're going to be faced with uh, a large population facing eviction, um, still a mishmash of locally, local um, eviction moratoria and kind of a mishmash of lo local rental assistance programs. Um, I know there are a few organizations that are trying to get ahead of that to make sure that this is sort of a comprehensible system where people can access the support. Um, and, um, I, you know, the, the latest sort of modeling of like the eviction numbers that I have seen was in January and there's like vastly different models. So the, the federal government is saying, well, with this new big relief, there's going to be very little, you know, we're going to be able to kind of find up this problem and there won't be a lot of people facing eviction because, you know, all this new, all these new income sources and people going back to work. We're going to be able to, to kind of avoid all these eviction things. And then like the UC Berkeley Center, I can't remember the specific name of the center, but they have a center that kind of studies these issues. And as of January, they were saying, whoa, 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 even with, you know, the, the new stimulus, we're still going to have um, pretty, pretty large, uh, you know, uh, populations that are facing eviction. And so I think 
you know, I haven't seen a lot of updated analyses since then. I'm sure they're happening. You know, it's hard for me as a physician to like keep track of those things. I do my best to try to figure out kind of what's happening in the housing world. But this is a really important issue, obviously, for our patients. Um, and for us as a HRSA, you know, health, homeless health center, um, housing insecurity is absolutely inside of the scope of our focus. And I think what happens with these eviction moratoria and what happens with these rental assistance programs is going to determine, you know, the size of the population we're responsible for caring for, you know, over the next year, definitely, and probably longer. So, um, you know, if any of you have any information or any contacts, please feel free to share with us. This is something we're trying to figure out and understand um, so that we're, you know, we're able to connect our patients with, uh, with, with the best information and the best resources available. Damon, do you know if the um, additional uh, food stamp um, money is, is still being given to certain households? I don't know. I don't know anything about that, but um, something we can look into. Okay. Good. Yeah. Great, thank you so much. Thank you, Damon. Appreciate hey, Loretta, it. can I yes. um, just check in on two things? One, um, member Mark Smith has arrived, so we wanted to just acknowledge oh. arrival. Hello, Mark. Hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. Yourself? Oh, I'm okay. Hang yeah, on there. Great. And um, also, we have a request to make an adjustment to the agenda. Um, and that would be because we have guests on the line who are helping us with our sliding fee um, discount policy. And I'm wondering if we can pull that forward so that then we can release them. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So we're going to bring uh, item um, F. You want to yes. switch it, switch it we, with um, item D? Correct. We pull, okay. we pull right. item F forward. Um, and then I just want to check with Ahmad real quick. Ahmad, does that require a motion to do, or can she just do that as the chair? Sorry, Heather, that's fine. There's no, there's no need for a motion. She can. Okay. Yeah. Super. And so Brenda, if you could help us by going down to, um, look at you. There you go. Well done. On <laughs> it. The sliding fee discount policy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so um, I'm just going to review quickly. Um, thank you. If you could, perfectly done, Brenda. She knows how I like things. Um, so in January of 2020, as a board, you all approved our charity care policy. Um, recently, it was determined, and it wasn't necessarily even that recently, but um, uh, a bit, a while ago, let's say about six to eight months ago, it was determined that it may serve our organization and the Homeless Health Center and Ambulatory Care best if we divided the policy such that there was a charity care policy for the hospital and hospital ancillary departments and a separate one for ambulatory care due to the regulations and requirements um, required by HRSA, which are, are different than what might be required as a hospital. And that HRSA is actually has a lot more rules for us than, um, 
then we have a need for on the other part of the organization. Also in ambulatory care, um, we were experiencing frequently for patients who had to pay that because the charity care policy was often based on percentages, that patients still were um, burdened with significantly um, large bills. And so we're hopeful that this new sliding fee discount policy, which is in alignment with the HRSA regulations and also very much mirrors that which our Healthcare for the Homeless program does, um, reduces that burden for patients, um, not just those experiencing homelessness, but any of the patients who are seen in ambulatory care who fit the requirements for um, the income, which is based on federal poverty, federal poverty level. And so, right, oh, and you know what? See, this is where my friend, this is where Ahmad Alexander would say, I can't say any of this until there's a motion because this is an action item. So uh, I'm gonna stop for a minute. I'm gonna ask Loretta to call for a motion for the approval yes. of providing fee discount policy and procedure. Yes, I'd like to motion, um, call for a motion to approve the charity care policy from January. Well, the sliding fee discount policy and procedure. And, and the sliding fee discount policy and procedure. I've got the approval of the sliding fee discount policy and procedure. I call for a motion to approve the sliding fee discount policy and procedure for the approval okay. of the sliding fee. Thanks, Leah. So I think I think we just got Loretta called for it. You just made the motion. You just said yay, motion made, and so now we just need someone to second it. I second it, Eric. Thanks, Eric. And um, in this case, also we're going to need uh, to hear if uh, that every that those on the line approve or agree. Or no, we don't call for the vote yet. Discussion Thanks. now, See, yeah. Discussion now. This is a part of the procedures that I that I have error. So we have the we have the motion. We've got it seconded. Now we get to talk about it. Okay, so we'll talk about it, and then you guys will vote. <laughs> Thanks. Now back on track. Discussing, providing you input or background. Um, we have some folks on the line. Um, April Bass and her team with Lucy and Elvia are all on the line and they help to um, create this policy and they're some of the folks who really um, put it into practice in the workplace uh, for our system and so I wanted them here to be able to um, answer questions that you might have. So let's go ahead and move on Brenda if you can slide down a bit to here is the policy. This policy reads very much like the policy that you approved last time. Um, as you can see, there's the purpose at the top and it, it calls out the ambulatory care system, right? The purpose is to define the eligibility criteria for the sliding fee discount program. And this is to minimize financial barriers to care for patients at or below 200% of the federal poverty level. And then it shows you um, here where it applies and then also it's going to say that if if patients are outside of this policy then they are going to fall into the charity care policy because there is a self-pay policy for uninsured um, that covers a discount of 50 percent so this is once you fall outside of the policy um, other things will kick in. So this is specifically for the FQHC clinics and other ambulatory clinics. 
If you scroll a little bit more, Miss Brenda, um, here's the eligibility. And it's going to show that we have a sliding fee discount that gets applied for individuals according to the sliding fee schedule. And then they show you the schedule. So we are permitted from HRSA to have no charge for anybody who's at or below 100% of the SPL. So there would be no charge for patients who are at or below 100% of the SPL. And then we have what's called the sliding scale, which requires us to break up between 101 to 200 into a minimum of three different uh, parts, right? That's the sliding scale part where we have to have an actual scale and there have to be at least three parts to it to make it a scale. So this is the same as it is at the Healthcare for the Homeless program for Alameda County, which is that at 101 to 133, we would charge $1 for the visit. For Per visit, yeah. Right. And then at 134 to 166%, it would be $2. And at 167% to 200%, it becomes $3. So we tried to keep that as low as possible. If you scroll to the next page, um, you'll also see that there are patients at the top. It says for patients that are above 200 and up to 350 of the FTL, Typically, this would fall out of HRSA requirements, but we are allowed to also do a uh, fee um, for people outside of that, so long as uh, we're not using federal funds or HRSA funds to offset that. So you'll see that there will be a $4 charge for anybody who's between 200 and 350% of the FPL. We call that out separately. Because again, this is because we are going outside of the HRSA regulations and we need to call that out to say we're not using federal funds to cover that balance. And then you'll see the next sections talk about um, making the determination of patients, which is to um, uh, get the, their income and put them onto the sliding scale to see where they fit. And this is for patients who um, don't have uh, a different, uh, have an insurer or somebody who's paying for care for them. So, for example, if you're Medi-Cal, this wouldn't apply to you because you'd be covered under Medi-Cal. But this is for patients who are self-paid patients or uninsured who aren't qualified, aren't um, meeting eligibility requirements for health tax or anything else. And we have um, specific eligibility for homeless patients to have them eligible for their sliding fee based on their homelessness. You scroll down a little bit more. Here's where we talk a little bit about the uninsured. Um, if there's a discount, so let's say they fall outside of the, there, there could be patients who fall outside of 350% that they would qualify for the 50% uh, discount and then they create payment plans for people as well. So this describes that. Okay, and then you scroll down a little bit more. Let me know if we're going too fast too. You guys have this in your packet. Um, this here describes the actual application and what they, what they complete and 
they are allowed to self-declare. So if the patient cannot provide income statements or if they cannot um, provide other pieces of documentation, they can self-declare anything that they provide to us by stating that they, what their income is on a piece of paper and signing it. And this also describes a little bit about the application, which is also attached to this packet. You can scroll down a little bit more. And this needs to be done at, at um, a visit for patients who are self-pay. So it does need to be done right there at the time of the visit. Um, and here's where they also talk about needing to create public notice and posting so that people know that this exists and that there will be a phone number on bills and statements for people to reach out. A patient can also um, be provided a service and if they um, needed to later claim um, eligibility for sliding fee discount after, after the fact, they can still do so as well. Let's say a situation changes, right, between the time of the visit and a week later, they would still be eligible for the sliding fee discount. Is that the okay. end last page, Heather? Almost. I think there's a little bit more. Let's go a little bit farther, Brenda. Here we get to the end. Um, talks a little bit about, uh, you know, who can grant write-offs or what the roles of responsibilities are, how we're keeping records. This is pretty standard in all of our policies. Describes some of how that's done on site. And then there's the attachment, which includes the sliding fee scale, which will show from one person, for example, what that looks like for families and how the um, federal poverty level is determined, um, which is current. That would get updated every year. That's generally updated every year. Um, it shows the application and then a letter that the patient would receive. However, the, the federal poverty level doesn't change every year. Does it, Heather? It, it will change. It changes periodically. Um, I'm going to say April and her team know best how frequently it changes. Does it change yeah, every it, year? It changes every around January every year. Thanks, April. Uh, uh huh. If you scroll to the next page, um, I believe that you'll see what it is for 2021. So, for example, it shows the income level at 100% for one person. That's that top line. And then you see across for the other levels, for the 100 to 133, et cetera, and what the fee would be. And then you also see the family size. Those are the numbers along the left-hand side. It shows what the monthly income would be for that family as well. So it breaks down what the annual amount is and what the monthly is. And this is how they're determining it. They're asking a family or asking the person what their monthly or annual income is. If you go to the next page, you'll see, uh, you'll begin to see the application, what it looks like, the questions that they ask. And this is also to help them determine if, they, if the patient might be eligible for a program that they could sign them up for as well. You want to go on to the next page? Thanks so much. Allows them to determine what they're paid. 
and for the patient to acknowledge, and then here's where um, the patient could do self-declaration. And then this is how we fill out the letter that gets sent back to them. Neha, I believe you have a question. Yeah, um, I believe our last, uh, last year when we had had this conversation, the board was interested in seeing uh, sort of, you know, how, how this letting fee discount was applied. And I think we wanted to see it on a biannual basis and, and see the numbers that were related to that. I'm wondering if it is possible for us to see those at uh, the next meeting for this, for this last year. Um, and, I, and I'm curious as to if we have numbers on where people are falling and how, how much how many people fall in the one, two, three, four categories, and what has been our success rate in reimbursing those those costs for from people um, on on those different, you know, if people are not able to pay at that time, and are we tracking them down, and, and then what our success rate has been? Right. So um, certainly we can get you. So I think I'm going to rephrase what you're asking. You're asking for. Patients who have been required to do self-pay and what the amount is that they've had to pay. And you want that for, you want six months of that? Yeah, I thought we talked about six months aggregate because yep. less than that is too, is too much. Super, I just reporting. want to, yeah. I'm going to keep track of, of what the, what I can get back for you. So um, I, I believe that I can do that. And then also just a reminder that this policy is new and not in place yeah. yet. So, pre, so what was applied before was the charity care program yeah. that the whole system, but we can still get you um, what was paid in self-pay for our patients. Yeah. That, that's great. Thank you. Super. Yeah. Excuse me. This is Mark. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. I had only one other question. Um, um, if, we, if we vote uh, this policy in, uh, we would have uh, the ability to amend it uh, at any time in the future. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, you can bring this. This is, I mean, I don't want to say this is your policy, but very much you have authority over this policy. And when you um, vote to approve this policy, it, in our books, it's going to be there for three years. But if you determine through data that we bring back to you that it's not adequate, you can call for it to come back and, and to get a new policy, absolutely. Usually we'd, we'd be reviewing it every three years, but through data that we provide to you, if you determine that that's not adequate, that you want it approved more frequently, or if you want to bring it back, you can. I mean, in this case, this is a case where we've brought it back to you sooner than it would have otherwise been brought, right? Because you approved it okay. in January of 2020. It was not due for approval again until later. But our organization decided to make some change, and so it came up faster. So, um, Heather, also, this is for um, visits. What about, like, lab work? Does it also apply for laboratory services and different things like that? Or is that a whole different? Where I'm going to let my friend April reply. <laughs> okay. Hi, hi Loretta. Um, hi, April. For ancillary services, lab, radiology, the mm -hmm. patient would then fall under the hospital charity care policy, which would be 100% write-off. Oh, okay. So they wouldn't have the um, nominal fee or 
whatever we're gonna we're calling it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. I think this is an excellent, excellent um, improvement myself. It's very easy to understand uh, for for everyone, the patient as well as you know the doctor, the hospital, whoever. Um, this is Mark. Can I ask another question? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, one of my questions is is that uh, once the once the um, policy is adopted, uh, in terms of getting back to us with numbers, uh, is uh, is there already a predetermined time frame in which uh, you are obligated to report the numbers? In other words, uh, in the policy itself, uh, does it spell out uh, when uh, we could or should receive? Actual numbers or information on the pro on the policy in terms of numbers. Thanks so much, Mark. Not in the policy, um, but as a board, because you, I say you, you are the governing body of this policy. You are at liberty to ask us for information with whatever frequency you desire. And I, you know, so if you want it on a schedule that you want to see this every. Let's see what next month is uh, May. If you want to see it every May and every October, we will bring it to you every May and every October. If you want to see it more frequently, we can do that as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it would be great to see it uh, twice a year, if that's possible. I, I don't know if we need to make it an action item or, or just a request, and uh, so that it's just a recurring receipt every every six months, starting uh, May of this year, so that we're able to sort of see if there's anything we need to change moving forward. Yeah, that's no problem. I don't think that needs to be an action item. You just ask for information back, and we can yeah. put that schedule. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you. <clears throat> so, if the if the patient did not have money to pay the three dollar payment, let's say at the time of the visit, they could still be seen, correct? And they would be billed for that. Um, um, correct. They could be seen. Um, they could be billed for that. I did ask um, some questions of our system to find out more about this idea of. At what point don't you care? Uh, yeah. That's the best I can describe it. It's $3. Are you really going after that? I know. I and know they that's... said, uh, they, the, the short answer was no. Anything under $5, they, they don't go for it. I said, I want to make that number higher, too. Can we make the yeah. amount choose to go after higher? I want to know things like, um, at what's the time frame with which you determine right. to let that go, right? Is that $3 yeah. washed away within a year so that the next year, <laughs> yeah. you know, like these are the kinds of questions I also ask, and I think it's really valuable. I think that um, I'm also looking into whether or not, even for these one dollar, two dollars, and three dollars that are for patients, especially those experiencing homelessness that exist, whether or not we can just cover those with other funds, right? So we have um, money that is donated to the foundation, for example. So could that get 
could that essentially get paid off by um, the foundation at, periodically, where we set that into motion once we get the reports back. Um, so there are some ideas around that. Nothing's in, poli nothing's in the policy, um, but I would say those are some of the ideas we've had on how to even offset these small amounts for patients, especially those experiencing homelessness. Which is a little bit different from a write-off. I think part of it is because with HRSA, there, there's language that requires us to make every effort to um, get funds back, right? So this idea that once we, um, that we, that we show that we've filled a patient, so we've talked about that. For, for patients, we need to show that we've made every effort. That might mean that we've sent out four bills, collected nothing, and that's every effort, and the effort can stop there. We can prove that we've made an effort. Um, this idea of when it goes to collections or not, or how it can get, not how can we prevent it from going to collections if it's enough that those four bills went out and we don't ever send it to debt collectors. Uh, we're working kind of at that level as well, but I don't have details yet on that. But that's why we wouldn't want to just write off necessarily those ones, twos, and threes. We might choose to do something like have the foundation pay for it out of uh, donations specifically designated for homeless. Right. Because then we show to HRSA or anybody else who's auditing us that we collected the thing. Heather, does that work? Um, I had put in the chat that I had to hop off, so I was recording my uh, yes or approving of the policy in the uh, chat. So I wasn't sure if it's uh, so that won't count. But if um, if the questions are done and Loretta calls calls the question for the vote, then you'd be able to vote if you guys feel ready to vote. Uh, are there any other questions, comments, anything, Doug? Okay, so I'm going to motion that um, we approve the sliding fee discount determination policy. I second it. Well, so I think the motion was already made and seconded. So now all we need to do is you just call for the vote. You just say, who is in favor? Who is in favor? Aye. 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 This is Nehan. I say aye. Aye. All right. I think that was everybody. That was everyone. Did anybody say, does anybody say no? And did anybody abstain? Did anybody choose not to participate? Okay, so Brenda, if you want to just mark that all of the members um, that were present, and then we do need to acknowledge that um, at this point, uh, Neha is leaving the meeting. So for the, we do have some other action items today. So when those are voted on, we just need to make a note that of who, who said yes and no, and that Neha right. will know Thanks, Loretta. <laughs>
<clears throat> okay, so now we're on action item E, I believe, correct? Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, nope, uh, sorry. We're going to go back to D, right? I'm correct. Yeah. See, this and is follow-up. Heather, go ahead. And since it's an action item, um, let's do, uh, we'll, we'll like get it correct this time. Loretta, do you want to call for a motion and do you want to, can you read it off of your screen? Um, I Scroll down to the next page, please. Yes. Yes, I call for a motion that we discuss the guiding principles. So you can discuss, just, if you can read it right here. Uh, discuss and nominate a co-applicant board voting member to A, work with the medical director and practice manager to develop guiding principles of governance, and B, present the principles of governance to the AHS Board of Trustees and the CEO for consideration as they assess the governance structure of AHS, and C, serve as a liaison to the AHS Governance Ad Hoc Committee. So, that's our... You just ask, can somebody move that? And somebody can just say, I so move. They don't have to read that all again. Anyone want to move on that? I will. I, Richard, move. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Yeah, we're not going to make you say it all This is why we write it down. <laughs> yeah. And now you can call for a second. Okay, is there a second? I second it. Thank you, Mark. Okay, and now you can discuss it. And so so I'll help you out with the discussion. This is a follow-up of last month. Remember last month mm -hmm. we were at uh, this meeting and we were discussing the meeting that Mark and I attended and uh, we determined that we needed to put it on the agenda and create an action item. So this okay. is that action item. And so now you can freely discuss what guiding principles you may want to um, send to the Board of Trustees and uh, nominate and select someone who is going to be acting as the... Right. Um, acting as a liaison and who is going to be officially helping the practice manager mm -hmm. and medical director to write up these guiding principles to submit. Mm -hmm. Well, As a board, um, would like to nominate um, a cab member to to do these things, to work with the medical director and the practice manager to develop certain principles that the cab, our board um, of governance, things that we think should be brought to um, the ad hoc committee and the CEO and the AHS board of trustees. So um, that way, I think our ideas are heard or are made uh, known to the other 
his board of trustees so they know what we're thinking and and hoping to have or achieve correct heather correct and you guys know to a degree started this discussion um last month right i know mark you had quite a few um things to say that regarding how, how decisions are made and what input we had in the other um, the others making decisions that would affect our our committee um, yeah I just um, I'll re kind of try to reiterate a little bit of what I what I've been thinking and what I uh, said um, uh, more or less uh, I just think it's important uh, for us to have input wherever um, we're allowed to, and we have, and I think it's important for us as a board uh, to uh, to insist upon being heard uh, when uh, anything comes up that's within uh, uh, within our purview. Um, in, in general, on um, a, a, a general level, I think it's important. Uh, for um, for everybody um, everybody involved in the program in terms of uh, board representatives, no matter what board you may sit on, that, uh, mm -hmm. that there be that there be uh, there be open uh, open and uh, free flowing communication between um, b between everybody uh, with, within the organization. Um, so that everyone everyone is on the same page. Right. That's one of the primary that's one of the primary things I think is important uh, to have open and um, and, and um, frequent conversations uh, between uh, between the bodies as much as possible, as much as can be uh, uh, um, uh, can be done. opportunity 
while the Board of Trustees is restructuring and well, since we've gotten as far as we have in understanding what our what, what we're governing, that this is a great opportunity to kind of make that more real, um, putting systems in place, having somebody like a liaison that works with the governance committee, insisting that as they're creating their governance structure that the CAB is, um, is an integral part of that, whether that be through regular reporting or by having a member of the CAB sitting on their committees. Like those would be the kinds of things that you might suggest in their structure that might help us to better realize this authority that, that you have um, for the Homeless Health Center and also for, for AHS. As we approve things um, as, as a CAB, as we approve things, does it then also have to go through the Board of Trustees for a final approval or is our approval the final approval? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that um, I would argue that if it's for something that you govern, it's your approval. I mean, right. you you ultimately, for example, you have the authority to uh, fire Damon, not that we would ever want to do that. But you, have, you, you would have the authority to dismiss him as the medical director of the homeless health center. You couldn't have him dismissed from Alameda Health System, but in the role, you do have the authority to dismiss him as the medical director for the homeless health center. And they could not override that. Okay. They, they couldn't force you to have him as your medical director. So you would have the ultimate, you have the ultimate say in right. him being your medical director. Um, okay. I think things that are a lot harder are things like the budget, where it's really right. hard to describe exactly what our budget is. You have the approval authority over our budget, but how do we really show that, or how do we have a disagreement with the Board of Trustees when it comes to that budget? And I think that these are the areas of development that, that we would want to see, um, or that I would be hopeful for you. Again. I'm not a member of the board, but I, I am your advocate and, and want you to have your full authority. So um, having a member, uh, a CAB member in the finance committee who could speak to the homeless health center specifically and bring that information back and, and leverage the ideas and help create change or let them know what's really needed, I think would be super helpful. Yeah. Um, so, but again, that's just an idea that's not, mm -hmm. A suggestion or even but but this idea that mark is saying that there needs to be adequate representation of cab members to the board of trustees i think is the guiding principle that you're developing mm -hmm. and then we figure out the how so how would we make that real right well i i do have a question um um I'm sure uh, probably no one has the answer to this, uh, and I'm not sure I do either, but at the moment. But uh, one of the things is um, I, I, I was wondering whether or not, um, whether or not uh, we could uh, produce a proposal uh, that would be uh, sent or presented to the, to, uh, the Board of Trustees that would uh, basically uh, ask for direct communication in some way, form, or fashion uh, when it comes to the budget uh, and to get uh, possibly, um, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, to, to get a pulse from, uh, to kind of read the pulse of the, 
communication, how they believe uh, for, the, for, uh, for their convenience, uh, how they would like to see it constructed. And uh, we would take that back with us, and then we would discuss whether or not we think that works or that that's something we could accept, or we could take their idea and modify it um, and then ask, ask them uh, for their feedback uh, for, uh, based on the modifications we've made regarding their proposal for uh, their possible proposal or ideas about how we can establish that communication uh, so that it would be, um, so, it, so in effect we would be working kind of hand in hand or in conjunction with them from uh, not, we don't have to do it at every step, but we could, we could do it intermittently uh, to see whether or not uh, uh, between the two bodies, there's a consensus about how that can be established. Or we can simply create our own proposals and present them uh, once we've adopted uh, certain principles uh, regarding uh, communication. Um, how's that sound? Well, I, I think, think that... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say... Um... It sounds like a, a, a relatively more specific and elaborated version of a principle that I heard you articulating earlier today and I think was, was being articulated in our last meeting, which is that um, this board would like to provide input on anything that's within its purview to govern. And I think, um, you know, that the mechanisms that we do that might depend on the particular issue. So if we take the budget as an example, our board's, you know, moment of approval of the budget um, is when we submit that budget to HRSA, which is different than the budget cycle for Alameda Health System. And so the way we would specifically implement an input to something in our governing purview that's, you know, sort of meaningful across both of those types of approval processes might be different than the way we would do it for the sliding scale, sliding scale policy we did today or for my performance evaluation, for example. Um, but I think, Mark, you were getting into some of those detailed ideas that I think would be worth discussing, you know, as a liaison, or if we could get a liaison from the Board of Trustees back to us in a little yeah. bit more detail to say, here's how we want to actually make that input to things we govern, you know, specific and real in these different circumstances. But I think I think it's all related to that that principle that we articulate that, that I heard you all articulate earlier, and I think articulate in our last meeting, which is that we need to be provide we don't just need to be approving; we need to be providing input on the things that we're approving as well as the board. Right, Heather. For example, the budget, the figures that were given to us um, last year, those were um, were generated by who? I mean. As a board, we didn't really, we approved them, but we didn't help create those totals. Correct. So, so we generate that budget it's, um, through the budget, uh, it's a system called the BPR, budget period review, where we're looking at what were the expenses and what are the, what is the income that is relevant to the homeless health center. And office, often this is also created through 
the annual UDS report. Some of those, um, as I've described before, when I bring it forward, is we're taking a portion of the overall ambulatory budget and attributing it to the homeless health center based on the proportion of patients that we have in the homeless health center as compared to the whole um, uh, whole ambulatory budget. And so, so our I will say our finance team and I create that budget so that you can get a sense of what it costs for the homeless health center. And we've been working um, within ambulatory to figure out how to make that a little bit more connected to the actual patients that are being seen. And even within our system, understanding that, you know, we're using, because we're using a system which is just proportional, it may not be as accurate as it could be if it were specific to the patient that's being served. Um, right. And so we're looking at, at ways that we can do that within our system. But so we create that and present it to you. Um, I think that some some large scale changes could happen within our system at various times. So for example, um, Catherine and, and Karen Wise and Paula came and talked about the behavioral health and making changes so that we're a behavioral and uh, uh, a wellness center and really changing what our behavioral health program is. And so that would impact the budget um, and that would impact the ambulatory budget. And so this idea that they're bringing that to you to talk about how a change in a clinical program would impact the homeless health center and the ambulatory budget is one way you would be able to provide input to yes, do you think that should move forward or no, um, it shouldn't. And so we haven't had a lot of opportunity to see these things brought to you, but the idea would be that that's how it would work, that within ambulatory, because you're a portion of ambulatory, if there's going to be a major change within the ambulatory care budget, budget it should be brought to you because it's going to impact patients experiencing homelessness and it's going to impact your and you have some say on that especially if it's a program that significantly significantly impacts patients experiencing homelessness right so right. We, want, we want your say and we want to create systems by which you could do that and isn't it i think one of one of the goals would be to always and you can always improve a program so that takes money obviously and we don't necessarily know, well, Damon would let us know, I guess, what is actually missing from that homeless program that we should budget in. You know, for example, um, let's say um, personal item bags. You know, these companies make these bags that have soap and toothpaste and shaving materials and a washcloth, and they sell them for, I don't know, $5, let's say. And those are adequate to give out to the patients that we serve that are homeless because they don't have those things, right? So in order for us to do that, we would have to have an idea of how many homeless we serve and, you know, times $5, right? And we would need to include that in the budget. Um, or if there was something else, if, if Damon said, you know, I don't know, we should have canned food and in the, in the, I don't know, just anything. The people that are working the program actually know what's lacking and what should be added, is my point. Yes, and I think in this case, uh, this is a specific, again, like we're in a specific example of the principles 
but I think um, you're highlighting something that's really important, which is what's the staff's role in this interaction, right, right? between for governing authority and board of trustees governing authority, and frankly, Alameda County Board of Supervisors governing authority, and the Healthcare for the Homeless Commission governing right. authority. And so this plays out, you know, with regards to budget specifically. Um, so things about what information I have access to and can report to you um, inside the budget are, you know, are, are I think important. But I think there's other areas of decision making where you all have purview, including sort of you know, these policy things like the, like the sliding fee scale or, you know, my right. performance, right? Um, and whether you would rather have, you know, you, you as a board or we as a board, you know, because I'm a non-voting member, um, but I certainly wouldn't evaluate myself. So you as a board might have a different evaluation of my performance than Alameda system would have of me, right? If, if I may be doing contentious things that say, like, Hey, I'm, I'm highlighting these issues that are really important for people experiencing homelessness, but really challenging for the board of trustees or something. That's a place where, um, you know, I think the 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 staff, um, the way that we react or the way we interact with with you know Alameda Health System and the way that we interact with you is something that we need to consider in this process. Right. I don't right. know how to articulate that as a principle, but. I, I, that's what I kind of heard you talk about. Was I mean, like, that's, that's, you, yeah, you that's as a board are going to have to react to what we as staff are bringing you, right? Right. And we don't know what you need unless you tell us or if we hear ideas from you or, you know, it's like anything else. It's the, the line of communication. You know, we're just a board that sees, sees things on paper and we can approve or not approve something, but we don't actually know unless we hear from you what is really needed and what needs to be budgeted for, or what needs to be added, what needs to be changed, you know. And this is a place where the where the, the regulations don't help us too much. They're written as if the health center is a single organization. And, you know, we're operating a health center in a really complex structure where staff are not only obliged to this board. <laughs> Heather and I don't only have obligations to, to this board. And so figuring out how to sort of manage manage that responsibility, I think, um, is going to be something we have to think about. I don't, and I understand how to articulate that as a principle, but I, I really appreciate you for highlighting it because I think it is it is one of the challenges of our roles to fulfill both those functions. Right. I mean, I could see it being as simple as uh, one of the nurse practitioners saying, "You know, we're always running out of." blank you know we never have enough blank and why is that because we ran out of money in the budget to buy blank right so if we hear those things those are things that we can think about include and Heather and her group can also um, include when they talk about the budget yeah and certainly those are like I want to say um, I don't want to call them small because they're still mighty and important but Right. Um, so, so there's sometimes that program budget, which we bring to you, which is often just directly those dollars that are through our subrecipient agreement, which you guys mm -hmm. are, have as an action item to approve tonight, where you have a lot of authority to look at those smaller items in the budget or the way that they're spelled out and very, um, you know, very much articulate some specific things or ways that you would want to see that money spent. 
versus some larger scale budget in ambulatory where it might be something more to the to the to the tunes of you know you think that there's not adequate access for people experiencing homelessness and you'd like ambulatory care to launch another site or launch another in the in the like more of a size of you know multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars or or millions right so so this idea of your input into the budget may be for small things that you can think of as just purchasing but it might be more like a a programmatic approach right right the example of the behavioral health care program that ambulatory care needs to invest in this wellness center approach they provided you with what they thought were both the costs and the and the revenue that would be associated with the new approach that they would like to adopt and that you having heard that agree that it makes sense or that you know agree that you think it's worth prioritizing or you know mm-hmm. it's worth making that change and that and that you would do it and it doesn't always need to be us coming to you though but one of the great advantages of having a, a patient-centered board where we have 51% patient um, majority is that as patients, you can also identify missing links or links within within your care and what you're seeing and and that you you could, you, you know, ask for that the same way uh, Neha was asking for a certain amount of data that you'd be able to ask for us to do an analysis, and there will be also a strategic planning, you know, that we do together as a board where you, we could identify these things together um, through a process, but that's that's what we're hoping for. And I would say then this goes into, and how do we get that to the BOT? Because that's right. where we're at tonight, right? Like, right. all of this governing that you're doing, how do we communicate that to the Board of Trustees? Because we need their support, or we need them to recognize your authority to say yes or no to some things that they may disagree with. Okay. So ultimately, they are the ones that have the final say. Are they not? (laughs) It it depends. So I think there's a couple examples. There's the example of like my role, right? It is where you clearly have separate authorities. The co-applicant board oversees my role as the project director for the homeless health grant. You have full authority over that role. So this board can dismiss me completely from that role. Alameda Health System has full authority over my role as medical director within ambulatory services position four, right? They have full authority of whether to dismiss you about that. So that's the place where you have very separate authorities, right? Yeah. And you both have the highest highest approval for that authority. Then in the case of the budget, you have overlapping authorities. Both of you have to approve. Both the Board of Trustees has to approve of the budget and the CAB has to approve. There is no final say. Both of you yeah. have final say, right? Well, we have to Does be that make sense? Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. Very much so. Yes. Okay. That clarified it for me. Thank you. <laughs> I think I was thinking more about this idea of, of principles, and I think one that was coming up for me was sort of how we arrived at how it would be really helpful for us to have a liaison in this case, because I think um, staff often ask to represent 
homeless health center interests in Alameda Health System processes. But I think we should try to maximize opportunities for co-applicant board, voting co-applicant board members to join staff in articulating uh, homeless health center interests within Alameda Health mm -hmm. System processes, right? Which is right. slightly different than the other principles that we've articulated already. Um, and I think, I think one that sort of led us to say like, look, I can keep going to the board of trustees meetings and saying, here's what, you know, our consumer board thinks, but it's much more relevant and, and powerful if members of the board are coming to articulate that, um, within, you know, within Alameda Health System processes. So that's definitely something I think that could be you know, of assistance to Heather and I as we're, you know, as we're trying to yeah. advance the interests of the homeless health center within the system. Yeah. To have you all join us. Right, I agree. So back to our discussion <laughs> question, um, do we want to choose um, a CAB member that would uh, take on this, this um, responsibility of working with Damon and Heather and um, relaying things back to the Board of Trustees? Um, this is Mark. Uh, before we make that vote, I, uh, um, there's one question that really came to mind, which I should have thought of earlier, uh, long when I um, talked about this last month, and that is um, whether or not the, the, the lead, uh, there's a question about whether or not the, um, I mean, wouldn't there be a question about whether or not the Board of Trustees would actually uh, accept that as uh, accept a, a, a liaison from our board uh, uh, to uh, to the board of trustees. It certainly would have to. Uh, it would. I'm certain that they would want to discuss it, right? And uh, I would imagine they would. And um, uh, wouldn't we have to also get approval from them uh, ultimately um, to 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 actually um, have one uh, have have an actual representative um, be present. My understanding of the ad hoc uh, committee that we are actually talking about is that it's an open meeting um, that anyone from the public can attend, and so you know there's no there's no requirement that you receive a specific invitation, um, you know, as as a as a applicant board member to join that meeting. So I think. Practically speaking, there's no there's no necessity of approval on on their side. One beyond that is the speak board of trustees meeting. People, every single comment I got was enthusiastic about more participation from this cap. Mm -hmm. So you know, I don't think that that would be. I don't. I don't think that's practically going to be an issue. You know, anyway. Okay. Right. It was just a thought. <laughs> Thank you. No, and a, an important one. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. Um, I got a question. I don't know if it was mentioned already. How often would this liaison be um, uh, back and forth or uh, connecting with the uh, board of trustees? Uh, like, wh how often will they meet or uh, sit in on their meetings? Mm -hmm. uh, things of that nature. I'm, I'm just looking at it from a time commitment. Like, right. being, how often will this person be doing this? 
Heather. <laughs> so, um, you know, we've written this as to serve as liaison to the governance ad hoc committee. This may or may not mean attending their meetings. I think that the ad hoc committee has been very clear that they want input. I think that we can provide input whether or not it's at their meetings. And um, that's one avenue with which you can provide input. But um, that input has already been welcomed. So it's just about sending it to them. Um, I, so I, I would say at most it would be once per month. And also I think that it would mean um, an occasional meeting with Damon and I to, to, to help define or write up the principles or to provide you with um, so that you can feel confident and comfortable if you're going to the meeting that you're that you have something that you're bringing on behalf of the board and speaking on behalf of the board. I mean, you're you're essentially getting uh, as the liaison, getting permission from the board to speak on their behalf based on your knowing the board's principles and knowing what they think is important, and you're the one who bring those forward. Um, but whether it's or not it's in their meetings or whether or not it's in some other way that we're providing input. Um, the meeting, um, Damon's reminding me of that their, their last meeting was in February and they haven't had one since. So it doesn't look like they're even meeting monthly. Um, and I think that they're also waiting in some regards for some feedback or report from some external body. Uh, so I think on the short term, it would be kind of collecting thoughts with Damon and I based on this meeting that we're having now and this discussion that we're having now to write up what you think are the guiding principles or the main messages that we want to bring and determining how we're delivering them to them. And that's something that I would think we would want to do before our next uh, CAB meeting. So probably in the next two weeks, if somebody's available in the next two weeks to spend an hour or so with Damon and I to write it up. So that you have something, and that and that you would be the one that it's coming from. Uh, this that that it's not Damon and Heather's ideas for the cab. We're just helping you to write down your ideas, um, and that delivery could be through an email or through an introduction to James Jackson, or you know, lots of ways. Well, um, um, this is Mark again. Uh, one of the things I should say. Um, Given the fact that um, we're talking about trying to formulate uh, some principles as of today, I think uh, I think it will be difficult to be able to think of everything that we might want to uh, want to say or do, and and of course, um, as a result, I think as far as um, as time goes by, whoever winds up representing us uh, uh, to the board of rep uh, to the board of trustees, uh, that of course, um, whatever guiding principles that we may say formulate today, that um, that they won't be the final ones. That um, it'll be ever. I, I would assume, or I'd like to believe that they'll be ever evolving as as situations change. In other words, it's not necessary. In other words, what I'm saying is, it may not be necessary to try to uh, to try to uh, think of everything all at once. Would I be Mark, wrong in that assessment? Mark, I think you're. 
correct me if I'm wrong. What I, what I hear you saying is that you um, think that we're going to have many more ideas that we would probably want to present to them. And we don't really know what those are at this point. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm kind of saying that we don't okay. we don't know everything that we might. Uh, that's, uh, right. we, let me put it this way. I, I know for myself, I don't know everything that is really truly in the purview of our board. I think that's something I'm still learning, and um, and I don't know how many other uh, board members feel the same way. But as a result of that, uh, it's possible that we may not there there um, ideas ideas that we have now may change um, as, as, as the board matures and we learn more together about um, um, how our program functions. That's basically what I meant. That's what I thought you were saying. Um, Heather, but correct me if I'm wrong, are you saying in a more um, general sense what we would want to be what we would want to present to the to the board of trustees like uh, we can't give specific items i mean we know the budget we want of course to have say in but we're not you're not asking us to be specific at this point are you isn't it more no. of a general well i think that you know guiding principles are, are principles and they're large and, and that's what we're suggesting for right now i think that as we provide those guiding principles. Um, there will be later conversations that might include what are strategies by which that Board of Trustees might meet those guiding principles. So um, I think some of the guiding principles that I've heard tonight include um, participation or, or an ability to provide feedback. This is where I haven't crafted it yet, but I'm hearing the participation, sure. right? We want participation in some way and that's a guiding principle we want um uh open thank you yes okay. open and frequent thank you so much yeah yeah exactly so we're listening so even right now so um what i would say to mark for right now for sure we don't know everything that we want um but we're starting with our discussion tonight which i think can launch us into a few guiding principles we start with that we deliver <laughs> yeah and that as we continue to hear from them and what they're thinking about their what their board governance structure we can continue to provide feedback that was great yeah i like that one i think you summarized that very well heather well, as I as I said, this is Mark again. As I said earlier, one of one of them that, of course, I mentioned, well, Heather already mentioned, was the um, open and frequent communication. Uh, that's one. Um, uh -huh. I think uh, one uh, another one might be um, also have communi uh, open communications uh, when it uh, when it uh, is appropriate. Uh, with other boards uh, who make decisions that um, that are in conjunction with with our with, uh, with our own mission, if that makes sense. Thank you. 
so I, what I also know for your for your action item, this idea of nominating a member. Do you guys have ideas about who might be a good representative or any interested parties? I have the time now. That's that's one thing I will say. I'm interested, but I because I have the time. But um, I'm certainly if there's others interested that are are not doing things right now. I would certainly give you the first choice or whatever. I bow down. <laughs> but if no one if no one has the time or no one wants to do it at this time, um, I would do it. Uh, I'm somewhat interested, uh, but my problem is is uh, I, I've got a few personal things going on that I need to get out of the way uh, that might uh, hinder me to some degree. Um, uh, maybe at a later time, um, it might be possible. I'm also kind of, um, at the moment, um, somewhat electronically challenged. Do you have your iPad, Mark? I do, but it's not operational right now, and um, it's, it's, it's all my fault. <laughs> I'll, I'll, really? I'll, I'll just leave it at that, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm working on, 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 on getting it up. Okay. I know Brenda's been wonderful in many, many times in helping me with different things. Make use of her, <laughs> Mark. I will. I will. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'd be happy to nominate you if you, uh, since you are uh, interested and available. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think it's a great position. I, I just I can't make that commitment and convert, uh, mm -hmm. considering the timeline. So. Yes, Eric. We're just glad that you're back. We haven't seen you. I'm really glad you're back. Oh yeah, got some really? things out the way. <laughs> Yeah. This is, so I'm, uh, here, this is, I'm hearing yes, a nomination of Loretta. Yes. <laughs> Richard was about to say something too, though. Yeah. Uh, quick question. Is there a way that we can have, like, an alternate? Can I move to add an alternate? Oh, I like that. I don't think you need a motion. Just nominate. Go for it. Okay. Um, well, I, uh, I nominate Mark to be the alternate. Awesome. I, I think it's very, Mark has a lot of ideas and it could even yeah. be that Mark worked with Loretta to make sure that all of his ideas, good ideas are, are included. I think that, I, that would be wonderful. <laughs> Mark, how does that sound to you? Um, as long as I've got your shoulder to cry on, I'm okay with it. <laughs> we can cry on. We'll both cry on Heather's shoulder, uh, yeah, and Damon's shoulder. Yeah. No, I, I would, I would very much like to to have you as an alternate. That would be great. Okay. Well, then in that case, uh, if there are no objections, I, 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 I would accept that. Great. Awesome. Could we uh, just amend the motion so the minutes actually reflect that and and give Mark. Um, some you know specific um, you know recognition in the in the in the text. So it would I think say something like this 
discuss and nominate a co-applicant board voting member and alternate uh -huh. to, and then that way when we'll list, you know, a member and an alternate, um, if, if this ends up moving forward in the way that it sounds like it's going. Right. But isn't there a current motion on the floor? So when we have to just go ahead and, uh, vote on it, basically approve or deny the current, um, the current nomination that's on the floor. And, it, and then after that, make another motion to add an alternate position. I'm going to go to Ahmad. Ahmad. Yeah, hey, 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 Keith. So, so uh, as Damon put it there, we would just amend the current motion to add uh, an alternate. Okay. So the board action would you would you would amend that okay. or add that. I forgot how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. This is this is not this is not uh, our strong point. Our strong suits. We don't get a lot of practice with this. You guys are doing great. So I think um, you observing other public boards. I just want to interject that we do this well. Thanks a lot, in large part to Alexander and Ahmad. But com in comparison to other boards <laughs> we've seen operate, we are doing this is our strong point, Heather. All right. Oh, wow. I think you all have done a great job tonight. <laughs> I would echo Damon there. We've had great helpers, I tell you. <laughs> okay, so then just to get it to get it super clear, we've amended yes. the action. Yes. Do we need to vote on the amended, and then you just vote on the amended action? Yes, we vote on that, correct? And you want a motion to amend. Okay. I, I motion to amend the... You, you um, want to ask Loretta? You, I, I, You'd ask okay. for someone to move. Motion. Oh, oh. So, this Eric, I moved to amend it. Thank you, Eric. I. <laughs> yeah, Loretta, you don't get to make the motion. Just the chair. You get to ask okay. for them. You, you know, okay. one of the hard jobs of seeing the chair is you just get to <laughs> okay. ask for people to do the work. <laughs> okay. So you got the motion. I wish it moved. I <laughs> Sorry. Thanks. Ooh, Thanks. I let you <laughs> <laughs> Great. So you've had it moved, you've had it seconded, and we've had a rich discussion. So is there any more discussion? I, I think that we've covered everything there. Then now you get to call for the vote. So now you just ask them to vote to, a, to vote for it. Okay. So. How are we doing this? Are we the how many people are in agreement? How many people yeah. say yay? <laughs> Those in favor, one way. Those in favor. Those in favor say aye. 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 And and those opposed. And those abstained, you know, you've got nobody who opposed or nobody. So those are. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you the. I'll send you your keywords. They're your you, your you. words to live by. Yes. <laughs> Great. Okay. All right, you did it. So then the motion passes, and so, so you get passes. to announce. You get to announce that. Yep. So I announce that now. Yeah. That motion passes. Okay, so the we've passed a motion to. Um, have a a co-applicant board member and an alternate 
to work together with the um, with our uh, CEO and practice manager and uh, medical director in in relating ideas and requests to the board of trustees on behalf of our committee.
shall include AHS's designated officials, designated, you've got some legal language here, um, in all distribution lists for clinical service providers to ACHCH and shall timely notify AHS of any and all developments that may affect AHS's role in the ACHCH or its delivery of services pursuant to this. If you scroll down, thanks so much. Agreement, pursuant to this agreement, thank you, Brenda. Including and without limitation to items A through Z. Now, some of this um, language was already there, and um, but we described it thus, and the only thing that they declined to include was item D, which is the availability okay. of supplemental and other sources of additional funding made available. So they um, did not agree to this, and so all of the rest of the language they said yes to, but not to letter D. And then under AHS and ACHCH joint responsibilities, again, we included some language as mutually responsible. The first sentence, the parties acknowledge and affirm their mutual obligations and responsibilities to meet the objectives of the HRSA-approved Homeless Health Center program was already included in the contract. And we were really adding that second sentence, which is as mutually responsible, both agents shall be represented in discussions involving HRSA funds, current and supplemental or otherwise, and program goals for which both parties are responsible. And again, the above language was included um, without the last sentence. So we had already had the first sentence. They said no to the second sentence. And um, in response to us, they said that they will not contractually obligate themselves to the underlying statement, though they may do these activities in practice. Um, they uh, let us know that they needed uh, flexibility of funding and therefore would not contractually obligate themselves to um, letter D or the sentence shown. And, and I will say that um, for the A through D, A, B, and C were already in the contract. That wasn't new language that we suggested. The only new language that we suggested was D, but I put that all in there so you would understand the context with which that that letter was added um, as similar as the second section, um, the, the next one down, the AHS and ACHCH joint responsibilities, that first sentence was already there. We just added the second sentence and they said no. So we had essentially made three suggestions. They accepted one. They declined the other two that were related to funding. Uh, despite this, we still, uh, we still think that you should approve the sub-recipient agreement that is put forth. The one comment I would add is just they've already done this in practice. So there there are new funds that look like they're coming available. Um, they, they forwarded us the notification literally on the day of, which was much different than last time. Um, their, their leadership forwarded to us. Um, and I think, uh, you know, likely, it's unlikely that their council is going to allow them to accept this language. Um, but I do think that our articulation of these principles and, you know, as a co-applicant board um, was really helpful for facilitating them remembering like, oh yeah, we need to actually talk to, if, <laughs> if we're committing to things that, you know, we need primary care clinics to deliver, then our primary care clinics better be involved in, in doing that. I think the principle is well understood and they're already following it. So I think we've accomplished the main thing we wanted to accomplish kind of by by inserting that language. <laughs> Even though it didn't get inserted. In the final draft, it does not get included. 
five of 78 got their second dose. Oh, great. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no problems. We're really proud of that. And, and, um, and we're going to be looking at some data and comparing that to, like, well, how does it work in the rest of the health center with our second doses? We think our homeless health center has done a great job of, of getting those second doses because, you know, we had a concern that doing a two-dose regimen mm -hmm. might be hard for people experiencing homelessness. And right. at least through the work that they did with this set of, uh, of 78 or so, they've gotten a great return rate and been able to follow, um, follow up with folks and get them back for their second dose on time and as expected. So uh, okay. that's really great news. And uh, we moved on to the Janssen because it was both available and understood to be um, easier because there was no follow-up needed, and we provided 145 of those in the month of March as well. Do you want to scroll, Ms. Brenda? Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Basically, most of the leadership and advocacy and quality um, bullets are the same as they have been. I will add on that we have added this section C under leadership and advocacy, and I apologize just right now for not letting you know sooner, but I will tell you I didn't know either, so that's my, my defense. Under the direction of Dr. Swift, we put on a pop-up event for COVID vaccinations on April 2nd and 3rd, which um, was last Friday and Saturday. And I will let you know that we knew about it uh, the week before. So that's why uh, you didn't know, probably, with, if, you, if you knew it all, I'm impressed. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 came, it was announced very quickly, it came together very quickly, and we got it done very quickly. And I will say we did nothing but that for that week, which is why I think I didn't get enough communication out about it. Um, there is a fantastic interview that I linked in the document um, with James Jackson, our CEO, and mm -hmm. with Cron TV. And he really, I'm impressed with the amount of time they gave him to talk about this and to highlight it. And I thought that it was really well done, the interview. I also believe that the event was really well done. Um, it, uh, we vaccinated 1,155 people, and this was also with the Janssen vaccine. So if you haven't already, check out that video. I would just highlight Heather was really, um, you know, she continues to play the role of leading our vaccine clinic at um, Highland on a regular basis, and then, um, which was still going that whole week, and she was still leading it that whole week as we were planning for this pop-up event. And it fully leveraged um, a lot of what we learned from providing vaccines in shelters. So I think similar to testing where, um, you know, our homeless health center was the first part of ambulatory to do testing for the coronavirus, and then the rest of the system learned from us. I think with this mass vaccination program, you know, both, you know, what Heather's been doing, just covering in terms of the, the clinic at Highland and then what our mobile health team has been doing, doing vaccinations outside of healthcare facilities. We were the first, you know, people in ambulatory to do some of those things. And then ambulatory, you know, as a, or our whole system, actually, not just ambulatory is learning from what we're doing. So it makes us really proud, I think, to be at the, at the vanguard of these, you know, really important community activities. Awesome. 
Okay. So now, um, I'd like to open it up for public comment. And I don't think we have any, do we, Heather? I see no members of the public. None, yeah. Okay, are there any other uh, co-applicant board member comments on anything? No, just great job, everybody. Great job, Loretta. Thank you, Mark, for the great right. questions. And Evan, Francis, thank you guys. Um, oh, it felt productive. This is Mark. I, I just want to say, um, going forward, um, um, I, 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 I'm hoping that um, we'll definitely come up with some ideas and some guiding principles uh, that will be worthy of our board and that I think our members will applaud uh, uh, once we can uh, put those together and then uh, pre present those to, uh, to the board of trustees. Yes. Actually, I have one more question, um, touching base on what Marcus mentioned. Uh, you mentioned that we have about a couple of weeks to add input. Would it be like an email reminder for us to send some feedback? Um, what do you mean? Um, you mean on? Um, you you nominated. Uh, the, you nominated Loretta and Mark to work with um, Damon and I to mm -hmm. develop like kind of, maybe I'll call it a first draft of ideas yeah. that will move forward based on the conversation that you guys had today and what you contributed today. And I would say then from there, what is likely to happen is that our next board meeting, it might continue to be on the agenda for additional feedback to be. Um, oh, great. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, a couple of weeks was just for yeah. the first kind of first round and to get the the people you nominated. There's some work that they get to do right away. Gotcha, gotcha. Great. So, are there any other comments? Anything? Any questions? Um, my my only thing I, I want to mention too, and I, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure Heather's kind of aware of this, um, but um, it's easier for me to contact people by phone. Um, as I said, I'm kind of electronically challenged at the moment in terms of sending email um, because I don't, I don't have my own computer um, <laughs> at the moment. Uh, I'm working on that too. That's another story, but um, but uh, I'm only bringing this up um, just to say. Um, that would be the easiest way for me to be in contact um, uh, with everyone who's going to, uh, with Heather, Damon, and I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Loretta? The chairperson. Loretta. Oh, yes, yes, I'm sorry, Loretta. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, Loretta. Yeah, That's so, okay, so um, uh, my question is, uh,
Heather, you're on mute. Thanks, Damon. I'm going to suggest that we adjourn the meeting, and then Loretta and Mark and Damon, if you can stay, we can do that. Okay. Okay. No problem. Okay. So I motion to adjourn the meeting at. Is it? Yeah, I'm sorry. This is a mod. You're not going to have a quorum at that point, right? Okay. So, so we just adjourn. Correct. You just adjourn. Yep. <laughs> okay. So we are adjourning at. Uh, I'm looking at New York time. Um, 729. Correct? Correct. <laughs> Mine says 1029. Yep. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you, guys. It was really good to see Eric and um, everybody that came tonight. It was wonderful. We haven't seen you in a while. Good to see you too. <laughs> good to see and everybody. I'm going to make sure that um, Brenda has stopped recording. Brenda, have you stopped recording?